1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in.
2: It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. We start with sellers. They're back in the driver's seat. The stocks look to give back at least part of yesterday's relief rally. The futures, they are lower across the board. And investors continue to digest the Bank of England's surprise decision to launch a massive bond-buying program. But not everybody on the street is sold on that idea. And Hurricane Ian slamming into Florida as a Category 4 storm, leaving more than 2 million without power this morning as it churns its way up north. And bucking the trend as one of the world's largest car makers with a test drive investor IPO appetite during what's been an unusually slow year for IPOs. And a historic night in the world of sports and Major League Baseball is Yankee slugger Aaron Judge. He hits his way into the record books. It is Thursday, September 29, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I'm Frank Holland, in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off this Thursday morning with a check on U.S. stock futures. After a massive comeback for stocks yesterday, this saw the Dow surge more than 600 points, snapping a six-session losing streak. Futures right now, however, red across the board. We see the Dow could open up about 300 points lower, at least at this point. The S&P and the Nasdaq both a percent lower at this time. We also saw some wild moves in the bond market as well, with U.S. Treasury yields falling from their highest level in more than a decade, right on the heels of that Bank of England decision to launch a massive bond buying program. The 10-year yield coming off its biggest single-session drop since all the way back in 2009. This morning, below that 4% mark, down at 3.846, again, still seeing the inverted yield curve here. We also want to keep our eye on oil. Oil saw a boost yesterday when U.S. stocks were lower than expected. This morning, down a bit, but still higher than the levels that we saw them at yesterday. WTI at 81 bucks a barrel. Brent crude at 88 bucks a barrel. About three or four bucks higher for both of those right now. Also in crypto, we're seeing Bitcoin and Ether. Also XRP. Well, actually, XRP higher this morning, but Bitcoin and Ether both lower this morning. XRP, interesting story here, up about 30 percent over the last month. Something to watch there. All right, let's get a check on the early trade in Europe and take a closer look at what's next for the BOE. For that, we send it over to Juliana Tattlebaum in our London newsroom. Good morning, Juliana.
3: Frank, good morning. Well, kicking off with equity markets, we've seen a reversal of that rally that came together late in the day yesterday. All major regions in Europe are trading lower this morning. All major sectors as well. We're seeing particularly heavy selling in cyclical parts of the market. And it's really broad based, about one and a half percent lower for every single Borsa in Europe. FTSE 100 down one and a half percent. We did see some more serious underperformance in that market earlier this morning, but now fairly even losses. Now, all of this as the fiscal fallout continues in the UK. Sterling assets selling off sharply again, reversing some of yesterday's moves. The Bank of England took emergency action yesterday to calm bond markets, as you, as you uh, suggested there, unleashing a 65 billion pound bond buying program. But this morning, the UK government has been out talking and defending its fiscal plans, showing no remorse after the market turmoil that has ensued in the wake of that so-called mini-budget delivered last Friday. Prime Minister Liz Truss this morning saying it is not the time to reverse the budget. Now, coming on to the next steps for the Bank of England, the next scheduled meeting is in early November. Now, analysts and economists across the street are wondering whether we will see an emergency rate hike before then. And if we see continued movement in the pound, whether that may change expectations. At the moment, the market is looking at an emergency rate hike. The question being just how big that rate hike might be. As for sterling, if I can take you over, we've got it here sterling down about seven tenths of a percent versus the dollar this morning. We were trading off about one percent earlier. Uh, 108 is the level. We're also seeing a reversal of what we saw yesterday in gilt markets with yields now moving higher. Uh, we're seeing the same across Europe. So what's happening here in the UK matters not just for this country, but also for Europe. And it is something that global Investors, economists and policymakers are watching very closely. Frank.
2: All right, Juliana, thank you so much for the latest on the early trade. Great to see you. All right. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs is here. Good morning, Bertha.
4: Hey, good morning, Frank. A developing story in Europe. The Swedish Coast Guard reporting a new leak has been discovered on the Nord Stream 1 and 2 gas pipelines, bringing the total number of damaged sections now to four. Natural gas has been bubbling up from the Baltic Sea for nearly a week now, with some governments calling the actions, quote, deliberate and, quote, sabotage, saying only a state could be capable of carrying out such an act. Tesla, meantime, says it's added Airbnb co founder, designer, and billionaire Joe Gebbia as an independent member to its board of directors. The move follows the departure of Oracle chair Larry Ellison this past August. Tesla had added Ellison and former Walgreens Boots Alliance executive Kathleen Wilson to its board back in 2018 in order to comply with an SEC settlement over alleged civil securities fraud. And Chevron says it sold its California headquarters and plans to move into a nearby leased space about a third the size of its original offices. The move coincides with the company's ongoing relocation to Texas. Chevron's main offices had been in California for more than 140 years, dating back to when its corporate ancestor, Pacific Coast Oil Company, established its headquarters in the Bay Area back in uh, 1879. And I was not around then, Frank.
2: Over to you. <laughs> Bertha, good morning. We're going to see you later on in the show. All right, turning our attention back to the broader market stocks. Well, they're set to get back most of yesterday's gains if these pre-market losses hold. Futures right now, as you can see, right across the board, the Dow looks like it could open up 300 points lower, the NASDAQ and the S&P both about a percent lower. But remember, it is, it is still early. All right, joining me now to sift through all this volatility, Robert Shine, Chief Investment Officer at Blankey Shine Wealth Management. Great to have
0: you here. Great to be here, Frank.
2: All right. So after the action we saw yesterday, huge rally. The Dow ends up 600 points higher. And then the futures action we're seeing right now, where well, we could be. We're on track to potentially give back all those gains. What are you telling your clients or what are you planning to tell your clients today?
0: Well, right now we're in the middle of a bear market. We're clearly seeing that play out overnight. Uh, the Bank of England obviously is making some emergency measures to support uh, what they need to do in their currency. But it's really about the strong dollar right now here in the United States, supported by the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve here has been absolutely resolute. They can't uh, be off their policy. They have to be, continue to be hawkish. And we're seeing that ripple effects around the world with the FX trade, the currencies, so on and so forth. But we, uh, we're we advising our clients. Uh, you know, We're asset allocating appropriately. We have some cash on the sidelines, and we're going to let the market, we're not going to chase the market, but let the market take it, take advantage of it when it comes to us.
2: All right, so you're not chasing the market, but it sounds like you're going to be telling your clients to kind of change their investment objectives because of this, all this volatility. I mean, it, just run it down for a second. We're about to enter uh, October, and November, generally a pretty volatile time for risk assets. Obviously, we don't know how high the Fed's going to move rates. And then on top of that, we have the midterm election. So when you say change your investment objectives, What does that mean for the near term and then for the long term?
0: Well, we're always taking a longer term view for our clients. And clearly, right now, seasonality, if you look at September, October, and even November, especially in a midterm cycle, as you just described, you know, markets tend to be uh, selling off and and less favorable or or almost weak uh, at this point in time. That being said, uh, there are still opportunities here that come our way. And we're we're seeing that in just about every market. But at the same time, we're going to keep our our powder dry, and we're going to let markets play out. We know that the Federal Reserve is going to continue to be resolute. We're seeing that play out uh, because we're going. We're seeing the conversation shift from inflation now to recession. And that's okay. actually going to play out over the month of October. We're going to see that in the employment data. The Fed's going to be looking towards the employment data as we are, and that's going to help. But the real focus needs to be on earnings and corporate earnings moving forward. I think all of the geopolitical headlines, all of the you know, headlines that we're seeing right now are going to come into full bear, full focus when we get the third quarter earnings. And earnings expectations have come down. Uh, corporations have proven that they can exceed those expectations okay. uh, quite right handedly.
2: All right, Robert, before we let you go, really quick, we want to get to your stock picks. Um, you have three of them for us. Let's start off with Costco. Um, inflation impacting Costco or the fact that people are worried about recession helping it, helping them because, you know, people generally stock up and they obviously need food and, and drinks and things
0: like that? Costco is re- re- recession proof uh, and, and consumers will continue to flock to Costco. Uh, And and we like Costco. Even next year, they're going to increase. They're going to pass on. They're going to increase their membership. That's four hundred million dollars to their bottom line by a membership increase. But during a recession, Costco has proven to be a winner.
2: All right. Your other two stock picks very briefly because we got to
0: get going. So we also like Verizon. Even in a recession, uh, people give up mortgages before they give up their cell phone. uh, And it's got a six percent yield. So you get paid while you wait, Uh, as well as Amazon. Amazon is a winner. And it'll continue to be because the Amazon uh, cloud will continue to grow. It's growing at a 35 percent clip, uh, almost six billion per quarter. And at the same time, it's consolidated the last couple of years. But we believe in the long run, Amazon is a winner.
2: All right. We got to leave it there. Robert, Sean, we appreciate your insight and those stock picks. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. All right. Turning our attention now to a developing story. Florida reeling from the impact of Hurricane Ian, slamming the state's west coast as a Category 4 storm before weakening into a Category 1 with maximum wind speeds of 75 miles per hour. Still pretty intense, as you can see. This is a live shot of Dayton Beach on your screen right now. The storm knocking out power for more than 2 million customers as of this morning and dealing a serious blow to transportation. More than 2,100 flights canceled. Florida's biggest seaport, Jacksonville and Port Canaveral on the state's Atlantic coast, joining the Tampa port and shutting down entirely as the storm churns slowly northward. Today, President Biden will visit FEMA headquarters for an update on the damage. And for that, we send it out to NBC's Brie Jackson in Washington. Good morning, Bree.
5: Good morning, Frank. Yeah, the White House is keeping a close eye on this situation. President Biden will be briefed on the federal response during his meeting at FEMA later today. President Biden has said that he believes that this storm may turn out to be the most consequential hurricane in a long time. Ian slamming Florida flooding roads knocking out power to millions and wreaking havoc on people's lives
6: yeah I screwed up but gotta gotta do what I gotta do with the uh, reality that I have which is get the hell out of that house it's my home
3: it's the only thing I have I mean and my mother you know I mean
7: if, if that goes then what 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 do you do
5: Ian made landfall as a Category 4 storm, the fifth strongest in U.S. history.
6: This
2: is going to be a storm we talk about for many years to come.
5: Warranting an all-hands-on-deck response. Officials say that includes 30,000 linemen to restore power, 7,000 National Guard troops to help with cleanup, 1,600 high-water vehicles for rescue efforts. This level of interagency coordination will not stop,
8: as we prepare for the historic and the catastrophic impacts that we are already
5: beginning to see. President Biden continues to keep a close eye on the storm and says long-term assistance will also be available. When the storm passes, the
9: federal government can going to be there to help you recover.
5: Congress is working to pass budget legislation that includes recovery aid for Floridians impacted the most. The bipartisan government funding bill the Senate is on track to pass this week will ensure the Federal Disaster Relief Fund is fully resourced at this critical moment. With Ian continuing on its destructive path, governors in several southeastern states are now declaring a state of emergency. President Biden also warned oil and gas companies against increasing prices. A spokesperson for the American Petroleum Institute pushed back, saying that prices are determined by market forces, not individual companies. Frank?
2: All right, Brie Jackson with the latest on Hurricane Ian. Thank you. All right, when we return to Worldwide Exchange and check on one of the biggest IPOs in European history, we are live in Frankfurt with the latest trade. Plus, rate shock rocking the markets as investors continue to digest the latest out of the Bank of England. Hear what JP Morgan is telling investors coming up. And later, much more on Hurricane Ian as it moves its way north, now being downgraded into a tropical storm. A live report from Tampa on deck. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns.
5: What does it mean to be rich? At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
2: All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Shares of Porsche popping in their European market debut Define what's been a historically slow year for public offerings. CNBC's Annette Weisbach joins us now from Frankfurt, live outside the German Bourse. Good morning, Annette.
8: Good morning. Yes, it's uh, actually the biggest IPO since 25 years here on the ground and one of the biggest IPOs we have seen in Europe for more over a a decade. So the Porsche share is popping despite a very uh, weak general market environment. It's also down to the fact that the families, Porsche and Pietsch, who are controlling Volkswagen and also Porsche, uh, didn't want to have the maximum price. It's a very complex deal structure in which they also had to buy shares, so the incentive was to keep the, the price at bay, and that's why we're seeing that very friendly market reaction. The shares were a couple of times oversubscribed, so um, loads of interest, because the Porsche story is completely as an equity story. It's very uh, appealing to investors. Porsche has a very high profit margin, roughly nineteen percent a lot better than Mercedes and BMW thus we are seeing the market cap, the market valuation approaching seventy 75- five billion euros. Just for Porsche, Volkswagen, the mother company, has a market capitalization of 84, just to give you an idea of so how much value creation has taken place actually through that IPO. Now Volkswagen can invest the proceeds in their electrification strategy, but also will splash um, out a special dividend to their preferred shareholders and at the same time uh, they will going to invest a lot in back battery factories. Porsche is going to expand its balance sheet and also will invest more into electrification of their fleet. Behind me, you're seeing just a selection of their iconic vehicles, which draw a lot of attention from the crowds here in Frankfurt.
2: All right, Netta, we're seeing the shares right here up more than four and a half percent. I know you spoke with one of the executives earlier today. Any big takeaways from that conversation?
8: But actually, it's interesting because uh, they are criticized for having that dual uh, governance structure. Oliver Blumer, the CEO of Porsche, at the same time is as well the CEO of Volkswagen. And he is insisting on staying on top of both companies because he's looking at Porsche as a brand which, like, partially floated. I think that was an interesting takeaway. And at the same time, Volkswagen is very confident that they are weathering the recessionary storm, which we are going to witness here in Europe, a lot sooner than you guys in the United States. They are confident also about China, despite the slowing of the economy. So in general, very positive uh, yeah, news uh, coming out of both companies.
2: Yeah, strong debut for this IPO. Again, shares up more than 4.5%. Annette Vicebach, we appreciate the report. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange, the biggest financial decision makers in the world give CNBC their take on risk, opportunities, and the entire global landscape heading into the fourth quarter.
5: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See Center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
2: All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Now for a look at our Q3 Global CFO Survey. A third of our CFOs say their employees get to choose when they work in the office and when they work from home The return to office plans for these s p 500 companies really varying you can see right here just about a quarter say workers have to be in the office on specific days but they can be in the office less than five days more than a quarter say the workers they get to choose the days they come in but hey still less than five days as you can see a very small percentage only five percent say they mandate a five-day work week in the office Of course, flexibility has been a major factor when it comes to finding talent in this tight labor market in recent months. But at the same time, many companies, they're very worried about productivity. More than half of CFOs say their companies are hiring and expect headcount to increase. You see right here, 57 percent. But a third, they actually expect their headcount to remain the same. Again, another small percentage here, only 10% expect to see a reduction in their labor force. Now, this general optimism about the workforce comes as there are mixed opinions about one of the biggest headwinds for companies, inflation. 57% say inflation, it just hasn't peaked. The graph's over here. You see it over this shoulder right here. Uh, We'll get more insight on Friday, of course, from the latest PCE report. 43% say it has peaked already. At the same time, the majority of these CFOs say Rates are probably going to stay just about at the same level we've seen in recent days, with the 10-year yield hitting a 14-year high yesterday at 4%, uh, obviously off those levels right now. Almost two-thirds of CFOs believe the yield on the 10-year, you can see right here, i got to move around a bit, the yield on the 10-year will finish 2023 between 4% and 4.5%. 29% believe between 3% and 3.5%. Only 10% say it'll fall from these levels to under 3.5%. But very important to note, none of these CFOs see it falling below 3%. We also asked their opinion on the midterm elections in November. You can see over here, 57% are forecasting the Republicans will win the House while the Democrats will retain control of the Senate. 19% say the GOP takes control of both chambers. 10% say Republicans take control of the Senate and Democrats retain control of the House. So a lot to watch, a lot on the minds of these financial decision makers. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, we're live outside the Bank of England for a look at what's next for the U.K., its currency, and what it means for your portfolio. But first, throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, CNBC is celebrating our teammates and our contributors. As we head to break, here is CNBC supervising producer Patricia Martel.
3: There's a saying in Spanish, ponte las pilas. It literally translates to put in your batteries, and I wanted to fire up the next generation of Latinos and Latinas so we continue to build on the work of so many that persevered before us. Embrace your heritage and your Latinidad. We are all Hispanic, but we are diverse. We eat different foods and wave different flags, yet we are bonded by a shared history. We are bicultural. Let's own it. It's our superpower.
2: Stocks are set to reverse course after yesterday's massive relief rally. However, futures are pointing to a sharply lower open. Plus, with Citadel's Ken Griffin told CNBC at this year's Delivering Alpha conference that may make you want to pick up the phone and call your financial planner right now. And tracking Hurricane Ian as it tears through Florida, leaving millions without power. A live report from the region ahead. It is Thursday, September the 29th, 2022. And you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland, in for Brian Sullivan this morning. I hope your day is getting off to a great start. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. And here, how stock futures are looking right now with this hour. We're looking at red across the board. that looks like it could open up more than 200 points lower at the open. You see the S&P and the Nasdaq both right around a percent lower at this time. All right, let's get to some of this morning's top stories. Our Bertha Coombs is back with those. Good morning again, Bertha.
4: Hey, Good morning, Frank. Uh, so Amazon is raising pay for hourly workers once again as the company prepares for the holiday shopping season and a second Prime Day event next month in October. Amazon will increase average starting pay for frontline warehouse workers by a dollar to $19 an hour. Many will earn between $16 and $26 an hour depending on their location. Amazon last raised pay about a year ago to an average of 18 bucks an hour. Company says it's now spending roughly a billion dollars on the pay hikes over the next year. Several major advertisers, including Mazda, Forbes and PBS Kids, have suspended or removed their ads from parts of Twitter. Companies tell Reuters that's because they appeared alongside tweets soliciting child pornography. A Twitter spokesperson says the company has zero tolerance for child sexual exploitation and says Twitter is working with its advertising clients and partners to investigate and take action to prevent this from happening again. Meantime, Warner Brothers Discovery is facing a shareholder lawsuit alleging the company and top executives made false statements about the health of HBO Max and its subscriber numbers. The suit, which is seeking class action status, was filed last week in New York federal court by the Collinsville, Illinois, Police Pension Board. Since the merger of Warner Brothers and Discovery closed in April, well, it's not a terribly pretty pretty chart there. The stock down more than 50%. Shares dropped last month when the company reported a 3.4 billion dollar second quarter loss due partly to costs related to the merger. Frank.
2: Yeah, continued issues for HBO Max, but I got to say that House of the Dragon show really great. That Game of Thrones spin-off really enjoyed it. I don't know if you're watching it.
4: I haven't I haven't gotten into it yet. It's so addictive.
2: Yeah, it's it's really. I'm, you know what I'm, I
4: really like, actually. there's a, a show called Rutherford's Falls on Peacock. Not to not to be promoting the company, but it is really cute. The second season was really good.
2: All right, Peacock, NBC subsidiary. We got to just throw that out there. But I'll have to check it out, Bertha Coons. I know.
9: Thank you very much.
2: <laughs> Thanks, Bertha. All right, turning our attention back to our top story of the morning: the ongoing fallout from the Bank of England's decision to launch a massive bond buying program to shore up investor confidence, but. Not everyone's convinced the U.K. is on the right track. Here is Citadel's Ken Griffin speaking with our Scott Wapner at yesterday's Delivering Alpha conference.
7: I'm worried about what the loss of confidence in the U.K. represents. It represents the first time we've seen a major developed market in in a very long time lose confidence from investors. When you have your fiscal house in order, when you have inflation under control, you have far more degrees of freedom from both a fiscal and monetary perspective to deal with moments of adversity. The UK has lost some of those degrees of
10: freedom.
2: And joining me now outside the Bank of England is our own Jumana Bersechi. Jumana, good morning.
10: Morning to you, Frank. Well, I think it's important to dissect exactly what came out of the Bank of England yesterday because they acted in the name of financial stability, not in the name of monetary policy. They intervened yesterday and announced that they're going to start buying up guilt, namely because the guilt market had become so dysfunctional. Remember, After the budget announcement on Friday, we saw this mega sell-off in bond yields moving north of 100 basis points in two days. Unprecedented price action, which was beginning to impact a lot of the pension fund community over here. They started to receive margin calls. The Bank of England saw that all and thought, "Okay, we need to put a stop to this and inject some semblance of order back into the market. That's why they announced the asset bond buying program, which puts them at odds a little bit with the QT program already pre-announced by the Bank of England, uh, by the MPC committee. But the reaction, you could say, was in line with what they expected. Gilt yields dropped about 100 basis points yesterday in trading. And though we did see a little bit of support come through for the pound, it has started to struggle uh, slightly since. And I think the overriding theme here is still one of confidence, investor confidence in U.K. assets, especially when you look at the fiscal situation and deteriorating public finances outlook.
2: Yeah, so certainly a lot going on here in England. Um, What's the next thing that investors should be looking out for? Is there a next shoe that could drop here?
10: I think there are two major data points we need to watch out for. The first is the next scheduled Bank of England meeting that is on November the 3rd. Markets are now pricing in 140 basis points of hikes out of the Bank of England. Remember, last week they only delivered 50, so there's a lot of pressure on them to deliver more. The second data point is on November the 23rd. That is when the UK government gets a second opportunity to deliver their announced budget. And there, there is some well expectation that they're gonna give a little bit more commentary on how they plan on reducing that debt to GDP profile. And again, tying it into what we were saying about investor confidence, right now, that is what the market needs to see. They need to get some reassurance that this government understands that the debt and the borrowing plans that they put out has spooked investors and they want to see that these numbers will be on the path to come back down again in coming years. So those things together could be major drivers for where this market goes from here. But of course, between now and November, there is a lot of time. The market is still pricing in the possibility of even an intermeeting hike out of the Bank of England. So there could be more fun and games, Frank.
2: (laughs) I don't think all the investors over there think it's fun and games, but definitely a lot of action. Jumana, thank you for that report. We appreciate it. (laughs) All right. Let's stay on bonds and go stateside with yesterday's sharp reversal in the U.S. benchmark 10-year Treasury yield seeing its steepest one-day drop since 2009 after briefly spiking above 4% earlier in the day. Right now it's sitting just above 3.8%. For more on what this means for the markets and your money, let's bring in Jason Hunter, head of technical strategy at JP Morgan. Jason, thanks
6: for being here. Oh, thank you for having me, Frank.
2: So, Jason, a lot to break down. But first, I really want to get your take. Uh, We're obviously seeing, you know, the 10-year yield hit 4 percent, and now it's dropped pretty dramatically. It even closed pretty dramatically yesterday, down about 20 basis points lower than that 4 percent yield mark. What does that mean? What does that mean for the bond market and what does that mean for the markets?
6: So even before the the price action we've seen with, you know, the the aftermath of what's been going on in the U.K. markets, um, as the 10-year note was approaching 350 and then 370 and the long bond approaching 350, we were already thinking there was a good chance uh, the market would be seeing its high yields, not just for the medium term period, but potentially for this whole cycle. Um, sentiment measures uh, were getting stretched, you know, deep into oversold territory for the bond market. Um, conditions that tend to line up with the reversal. We were just waiting for the price action to confirm that, either through significant deceleration and base building in the price action or a sharp reversal. Um, you're certainly caught by surprise, but what's happened in the aftermath of what's been going on in the UK with just how high yields have gotten. But there are signs that we are seeing a bit of a blow-off top in yields uh, develop, as you already mentioned, with the reversal from 4%. Still need to see further price action and bullish follow-through to confirm that. Um, but th- there are you know, signs of that in the price action.
2: All right, so you're saying we're seeing what you call a blow-off top. So i, I got to just ask you in plain language, I think everybody's trying to figure this out. And I know you don't have a crystal ball. There's certainly been a lot of surprises this year. But where do you see this yield going? Do you think it can top 4% this year? And where do you see the bottom?
6: Um, yeah. So so the idea of a block top, you know, you know, when, and you see reversals, there's like two types of reversals in, in the bond market, either a, a more orderly one where the trend decelerates prices base. And like I said, you get more of an orderly trend reversal, eventual breakout from the base pattern, or you get more of a panicky type move uh, where yields spike higher the way they've done over the past uh, several trading days. Um, and then you see one of those quintessential one day reversals um, where either on a news headline or no news at all. The market just sees the sharp intraday reversal and then closes dramatically at lower yields, which is basically what happened yesterday. You know, you know what technicians would refer to as a, a bullish outside day when looking at the the, the bar chart. Um, you know, so we see some elements of that, I think, to really confirm the trend reversal. Uh, the market would have to sustain closes uh, below 350 uh, in yields. And, you know, it sounds like it's far away, but it's just where it was trading a few trading days ago. Um, Once you move back through that, you're back into the summertime trading range. Um, And I think anyone that got forced into positions or out of positions on the recent acceleration, um, certainly for anyone who's chased with shorts, would probably be forced to cover. And that might invigorate a bit bit more of a rally. Ultimately, the big resistance um, now is is at three percent, you know, speaking of resistance, higher in price, lower in yield. Um, You know, that three percent area is probably going to be a really tough hurdle over the medium term and through the fourth quarter for the, the bond market to rich and through.
2: All right. I also want to talk to you about the broader market. What are the technical indicators saying about the broader market? We obviously broke through those June lows a couple days ago, but now we're back above it.
6: What direction do the technicals tell us that the market's heading? Okay, so we know the seasonal period between September and the first one or two weeks of October generally is negative uh, for for global risk markets, including the S&P 500. So, you know, if, if we look at average seasonality, that takes us to roughly October 11th before that turns the corner. Um, the trend clearly has been down into that period and accelerated, you know, not, not helped by the, the developments we've seen in the U.K. Uh, recently. Um, the market's already oversold. That's an important note. As we've retested the June low, you see sentiment, market internal and breadth indicators, some position metrics. If we look at futures positioning in the commitments of traders report, um, they're all at the extremes that are either match or in some cases even exceed what we saw in June. So the conditions are right. For a bullish reversal. And even if this is a, a continued bear market that stretches into 2023, which isn't our, our house view at JP Morgan, but even if it is, those conditions generally lead to a multi-week reflex or rebound um, in, in the market where you know, positions are forced to squeeze. So our general thinking is major supports in the 3,500 handles. Um, that also fits with, if you look at how the S&Ps related to the market's anticipation of terminal Fed pricing over the past year, Um, We have a cross market model that looks at that. Um, If you were to stretch the S&P versus where terminal rates are now at roughly four and a half, that also fits with the idea of support in the 3500s. We think in a, let's call it worst case scenario, if the selling does accelerate for whatever reason, we think that the 3500s will hold it. The market will rebound, closes above 3900, confirm a reversal into the fourth quarter in our view. And The big resistance is now 4,150 to 4,200. We think that's going to be a significant hurdle. So, again, even if this is a continued bear market, you should see some sort of a bear market rebound that that takes you up 10 to 15% on the broad index. All right, something to watch and some key tips there for people trying to position their portfolio.
2: Jason Hunter, we appreciate the insight. Uh, Thank you. All right, turning our attention to the oil market. Oil prices, they're slipping today after gaining more than 3 bucks a barrel in yesterday's session. That rebound off nine-month lows was sparked by a bigger-than-expected drawdown in U.S. fuel inventories and a dive in the dollar as part of the broader rally after the Bank of England stepped in to try to stabilize the pound and U.K. bonds. But the dollar index is trending upwards again today, capping demand for oil from buyers using other currencies and raising fears of a global recession, well, again. Losses are being capped by signals OPEC Plus may cut output at its meeting next week Let's talk a lot more about the energy markets with Bart Mellick, Global Head of Commodity Strategy at TD Securities. Bart, thank you for being here. Good morning. So, Bart, can you just kind of give us a, a summation of, of how you would categorize the action in the oil market this morning? Obviously, yesterday, that drawdown in inventories gave oil a, big of a, bo- a bit of a boost, but the dollar is rising again today. Where, what direction do you see oil going in today?
11: I think today is probably going to be a, a rather boring day. There aren't likely to be a lot of catalysts yesterday. Uh, of course, we had the Bank of England uh, adding liquidity, which ignited uh, risk appetite across uh, you know all asset classes virtually. Uh, we also had speculation uh, that the Russians are pushing a cut of as much as a million barrels uh, for the OPEC-plus uh, producer group. Um, and um, uh, as you mentioned in the report, uh, <coughs> EIA, came in with a significantly lower than expected uh, inventories uh, across the board, uh, about 8 million barrels less inventories in products and crude uh, than was expected. And that served as a catalyst to move things higher. Uh, today, of course, uh, <coughs> much of that has been uh, you know, priced in. And unless we get some new information, uh, You know, quite likely about OPEC. Uh, This could go, but I still think this was mostly a short-covering rally uh, yesterday, and 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 that's done. Um, I suspect that OPEC does come up with uh, a a cut uh, after meeting in Vienna, and uh, we could move towards ninety dollars. That's where we see resistance at this point. Uh, But I think, as far as today is is concerned. Maybe steady as she goes. Probably not a lot of things unless something happens uh, uh, during the day.
2: All right. Ninety dollars. Obviously not a big move from where we're at right now, at least with Brent crude. Um, I want to talk to you about what may not be priced in. Obviously, China's, uh, you know, recovery from their covid lockdowns just hasn't happened as fast as people have thought it was. From FedEx to other tech companies just decided that things are slower there and the lockdowns have just kind of hit things there. If and when China reopens, does that completely change the complexion of the oil market?
11: I, I think it changes it considerably. Uh, earlier in the year, we were quite confident that China is going to dispense with its COVID zero policy. Uh, that hasn't happened, but you know we are seeing uh, <clears throat> signs that this may change. And as we go forward, uh, China will reopen. Um, it's likely, I think, that OPEC will mitigate uh, some of or reduce some of its production. But the big risk, of course, remains the global macro side where we could be headed for uh, quite a hard landing. And that means the current estimates that a lot of agencies have of some 2 million barrels of new oil demand next year might not materialize. Uh, And if that is the case, if we go uh, hard uh, to the downside in aggregate demand, OPEC will be worried about surpluses, markets will be worried about surpluses, and hence we have this disconnect still, where the futures markets were somewhat more negative uh, on on prices uh, than the current supply demand fundamentals would suggest. So that is still yet to play out, and much will depend on how severe the slowdown is. Uh, the Fed is... Uh, telling us they're going to be very right. aggressive. We could see the Bank of England to be very, very aggressive uh, as well. Certainly that's what is being priced in. Uh, of course, the ECB and other major central banks. Uh, so as China comes out, uh, we could in the West be slowing severely and uh, offsetting that. Uh, as important as China is, we are right. still the bigger consumers of oil.
2: Bart, what you just laid out, I think, is uh, if you're an oil producer, a worst case scenario. Bart melick from TD Ameritrade, we thank you for the insight. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, turning our attention back to a developing story back here in the U.S. Hurricane Ian slamming into the Florida coastline just shy of a Category 5 storm. NBC's Chris Pallone, he's in Tampa, Florida this morning with the very latest. Good morning, Chris.
1: Yeah, Frank, good morning to you. The Tampa area dodged the worst of this, but this storm is still ongoing. It's now a tropical storm, but it's dumping tons of rain on the Orlando area, central Florida, out towards the Space Coast. We're seeing many, many reports of flash flooding, inundated homes and cars. So it continues to be a problem and will throughout the day. The storm roared ashore just south of where I am by a couple of hours. Places like Fort Myers and Naples inundating entire neighborhoods. Authorities said that they know they got hit hard, but they don't know exactly how hard. They'll be going out today to try and assess the damage. So far, no reports of any fatalities with this storm. We'll keep an eye on that. And 2.5 million people in Florida are without power right now because of the storm. There are crews in the state ready to go in and try and restore power when they can. The governors of Georgia, North and South Carolina, as well as Virginia, have declared states of emergency as they anticipate the remnants of Ian moving into their areas. Frank, back to you. All right, Chris Pallone with the very latest on Hurricane Ian. Thank
2: you for that report. All right, as we head to break, the wait is over for Yankee slugger Aaron Judge, officially making history in Toronto last night, tying the American League home run record at 61 in the top of the seventh inning last night. The strike to left field tying Roger Maris's record, which was set all the way back in 1961 during the final game of the regular season. Judge's mom and Roger Maris's son, Roger Maris Jr., in the stands to witness the go-ahead homer. And we're back right after this.
11: And the 3-2. Draw deep to left field. This could be it. Number 61. He's been chasing history in a single season.
2: All right, if you are just waking up, futures are pointing to a lower open, though we are off the worst levels of the session you can see right now. The Dow looks like it could open up just under 200 points lower at this point. The S&P and the Nasdaq both around a percent lower as well, give or take. Among the pre-market losers, Apple shares under pressure once again. The stock now down nearly 6% this month. It dropped yesterday on demand concerns after a report said the company was pulling back on plans to raise production of its newest iPhone. Worldwide Exchange, back right after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's on the agenda for the trading day ahead. Weekly initial jobless games and the third reading of second quarter real GDP. They're both out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern this morning. We'll also get earnings from Bed Bath & Beyond, Nike and Micron, plus remarks from San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly. And Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester sitting down with our own Steve Leesman live at 8 a.m. Eastern on Squawk Box, an interview you don't want to miss. All right, back to the broader markets. Well, stocks and bonds, they're both suffering a very rough September, leading some to question whether investors should rethink an often-touted portfolio strategy. Here's Citadel founder and CEO Ken Griffin at yesterday's Delivering Alpha.
7: The 60-40 portfolio looks much better today really? than at any point in recent time. Why so? We've got 10-year bonds at 4%, right? When 10-year bonds are, are at 75 basis points or 1%, there's no real upside to the bond in a moment of a recession that's often characterized with deflation. Mm. But now with, with the 10-year bond at 4%, if you go into a downturn and inflation heads back towards a, a one-handle, all of a sudden those bonds are worth a fair amount more than they are today. That's a win in your portfolio. That's in the green when your equity portfolio is likely to be in the red.
2: All right, for much more on that and the trading day ahead, let's bring in Degas Wright, Decatur Capital founder and CEO, also CIO, and he's also a CNBC contributor. Good morning, Degas. Great to have you on. Good morning, Frank. How are you doing? All right, so you were actually at Delivering Alpha. You heard uh, Ken Griffin say that in live and in person. What's your take? Is the traditional 60 40 portfolio, is that what you're going to be advising your clients to adopt? Well,
9: yes, because now you can use bonds and for taxable clients. We would even say let's consider municipal bonds for instance if if you live in the state of georgia you can buy a georgia state road and tollway authority bond uh, that's going to mature next year at an interest rate of about 2.75 now as if you compare that to a corporate taxable bond that's the same thing as a four percent bond because the georgia bonds or municipal bonds are tax-free.
2: So let's really quick. I want to get to your stock picks. You got some stock picks. But first, do you have uh, a target in mind for where you think the 10-year yield is going to end 2022 and also where you see the S&P moving from here?
9: Yeah, exactly. So what really shocked the market was when the uh, dot plot came in, which is the federal funds forecast. At the end of this year, they're forecasting about a 4.3 percent. Fed funds rate. Right now, the Fed funds rate is at 3%. Also, by 2023, the dot plot indicated a 4.6% Fed funds rate. So that's a significant shock to the market. And that's what we're seeing uh, the market go down and decline so sharply. So that has changed our outlook for the uh, uh, next few months that we could hit 3,500 with the S&P because of that shock to the market.
2: All right. So with that perspective in mind, because let's go to your stock picks. What's your your top stock pick for the current environment we're in right now? Obviously, a lot of volatility.
9: Right. So you want to uh, select the stocks that have that are can really do well in the recession. And those stocks are going to be the stocks that will do well when you have uh, the unemployment rate increasing. And also when you have consumer sentiment declining. And so those are going to be sectors such as healthcare and uh, consumer staples, a stock for instance, will be AVI that does a really great job and it actually uh, invests about uh, 13% of their revenues in research and development that really performs or really starts to form a very strong uh, pharmaceutical uh, pipeline, such as uh, drugs, such as Humira that treats arthritis and uh, skin disorders. So we really like uh, Avi. Also, another company would be General Mills. All right. Everyone's familiar with the Cheerios. Absolutely, Degas. The uh, Betty Crocker, cake uh, Mix.
2: Very familiar, the, uh, Buffalo, unfortunately. Uh, Blue, the, uh, we got to leave the conversation there, Degas. We're running out of time. But we appreciate the stock picks, and thank you for being on this morning. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures, off their lows of the morning. That looks like it'll open up about 180 points lower. Squawk Box
1: takes it from here. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern, only on CNBC. Life is a highway,
9: and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mc Crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
5: of a detour.